Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for, oh, I don't know what show this is, 1.30-something or other. And uh, we are coming at you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, as well as here with video on YouTube, uh, where you can feel free to comment away on the YouTube uh, video or at sensiblyspeaking.com, which is the website that hosts my podcast. Uh, Okay, this week we have Rachel Bernstein back for more, one of my favorite people in the whole world. And, uh, and definitely one of my uh, uh, best guests uh, on a number of my shows. In fact, so much so, I'm actually going to put a playlist together on my channel just for the videos that we have done, because she is so awesomely incredible. Uh, so... <laughs> awesomely incredible. Wow. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, and Rachel's not paying me to say that. No. Uh, no. no. Or not very much. Just a little. <laughs> no, so good news here uh, to start with is that Rachel is going to be starting her own podcast. What is up with that? Right. Well, I hope I still get to be a guest uh, on yours. Um, but I decided that uh, I had a lot of stories to share and there were people I wanted to be able to interview uh, along with you uh, and be able to start my own podcast. It's not going to be video. It'll be audio. And it's going to be a weekly discussion podcast, and it's going to be called Indoctrination, Indoctrination, all about really being able to understand what happened to you, how you got consumed by someone else's kind of life or someone else's uh, thinking, um, whether it's in a one-on-one kind of cult, in a narcissistic relationship, or in a larger cult, or kind of in society in general, why we come to believe what we believe sometimes without any proof. And so it's really to generalize the message about human nature and how we're vulnerable and how to keep ourselves safe. And so I will be able to be found uh, after uh, the beginning of March 2018, also on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and Patreon. Beautiful. And so that'll be cool, really cool. Perfect, And uh, you're, you're, you're already one of my guests. Yes. So that's very cool, too. Yes, that was fun. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. So folks can look forward to that uh, next month. And um, also, on a more serious note, there was uh, this last week, there was uh, actually, it's really fresh when we're recording this right now, on Thursday, this just happened, uh, you know, I think yesterday, um, there was another mass sh- school shooting. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into a lot of commentary on this. But there was something Rachel and I were talking about that I thought worthy of bringing up uh, because it relates to, you know, things that Rachel and I always talk about, uh, which has to do with cult mentality. And while I will say that I believe that um, that there is a cult of guns in the United States, uh, that's not what we're going to be talking about. But I'm just going to comment on that right now because I have reached my own personal breaking point at this point now. With this, um, you know, not just this shooting, but, you know, the number of shootings this year, last year, year before, we've done podcasts about this. I've talked about this at length, but my tolerance for uh, gun mania is at an end. This is not something I am ever going to, uh, you know, condone or uh, try to see the other side or try to, you know, grant some 
uh, credence to, you know, the gun nuts and the NRA because I'm just sick and tired of it. But every civilized country in this world uh, that has had a mass shooting has responded sanely by taking away the right to have guns because it's not some God-given right. It is, you know, it is in our Bill of Rights that was written over 200 years ago in very different circumstances. And we have a, I, I consider our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, a living document that needs to change with the times, not a static thing that just exists as some, you know, artificial absolute that we all must bow down to. And uh, when we have children every year dying over and over and over again because of this, and we don't take that, you know, we don't self-examine, we don't look at what is creating this situation for real, and we just, you know, the social media, it's, it's a whole checklist literally now of, you know, thoughts and prayers, social media arguments, let's, let's debate the definition of assault rifle, let's look at, you know, the Bill of Rights and, and what the Second Amendment really means, and then let's do absolutely nothing and let's proceed to have another shooting and do the same thing all over again. I'm sick and tired of it. So, however, <laughs> on that note, uh, one thing I have run across that Rachel and I were talking about before the show is that people who come out of, you know, a, an intense high control belief system and then lose that, lose their comfort zone of where to go when a tragedy happens. Rachel, you want to talk about that? Yes, absolutely. And and keeping with what you were talking about before, I also saw something um, online, which was this really powerful quote. There, uh, It was from yesterday. There's so many parents now uh, in Florida who, instead of planning what they're making for dinner or what bedtime story they're reading, they're planning their child's funeral. <laughs> it just hits you it hits you when you see things like that's the reality of the situation and with all the school children going to school hearing about all of these school shootings and i can't imagine what that does to them on a daily basis not knowing if they're safe you know at school you have to deal with not having studied for the test or the bully or whatever else not that someone's going to come in with an ak-47 i mean that is just mind-blowing I don't know what that does to you after a while physiologically being in that, you know, just sort of feeling like you're in the trenches, not knowing when something's going to happen. But yes, people, when they're in, a, in an environment that gives you the answers about why things happen from natural disasters to man-made chaos and destruction, there is a reason for it that's given that underscores usually the kind of philosophy or the theology of that group. Uh, that's because they didn't believe the way we believe. That's God's will. Or um, it's because, you know, this person uh, met with a psychiatrist and that caused them to, you know, uh, go off the rails or because of medication or whatever. Again, the bias. Or the whole mentally ill scapegoat that's ne that, that right. crops up that, uh, that Trump is using and others, many, many, many others in the GOP and, and uh, politics have used in the past as well. Exactly right. Uh, and so when I talk to people who have left these kinds of controlled environments, they, and this just, you know, is a discussion I had uh, yesterday in the support group that I run here for former cult members. What do they do with all of these feelings? They can't put them away because they don't have this easy explanation for it. Ah, it's because of this. 
because as soon as you have a, oh, it's because of this, you don't have to really feel it. You don't absorb all that's happening because it all kind of makes sense. It goes along with what you've been taught. Ah, it's because of that. Or the group itself gives you an outlet to, to feel like you're doing something. But sometimes the doing something is really kind of a PR stunt for the group. You know, everyone puts on their vests and goes to wherever, right? Uh, takes a photo. Uh, but what are they actually doing at the end of the day to help this or to prevent this from happening again? So one of the things that I sometimes tell people is that there can be a flood of emotion because it's really kind of an unpracticed thing to really feel what happened, to absorb it, to not be able to explain it away. And then what do you do? First of all, it's very important to get support, to be able to talk about all of the feelings that just came up for you to not be overwhelmed by it and to not also feel hopeless about being able to do something. You might not be able to fix it and you might not be able to prevent it from happening again, but plenty of people could get involved with certain lobbies and with certain organizations. With, you know, you actually have more freedom once you've left these controlled environments to pick the cause that really speaks to your heart, to do the thing that you think actually has a way of doing something that is practical, that's tangible, as opposed to just for the, you know, it's a good photo opportunity, um, right? And so you actually are much more empowered once you've left, but you do have to figure out how to manage the feelings that came up that, you know, you just haven't had for a while because it's been very comfortable to be able to say, well, they either brought it on themselves or it's because of that. So I don't really even have to feel worried. I don't have to feel scared. I don't have to even feel really disturbed by it. That is a really good point. It occurs to me that um, one of the things that has uh, happened to me is exactly what you were describing. And we, and we didn't actually get into this part before the show, but this, this business of pushing it aside, pushing, not pushing it away from you, so you don't have to deal with it. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to experience the emotion set that comes with a tragedy. Uh, that is, a, that is it's something that I used to have when I, as a Scientologist, right? Because you could, you know, pawn it off on, they pulled it in. They're responsible for their own condition. You know, oh, the, the, the guy was on psych drugs and just write it off. And there's so many more layers to this. There's so many more factors that create these situations. And we um, don't have to look at any of that if we have a platitude instead or some mantra to throw out instead. And, you yeah. know, and that's what thoughts and prayers has become as far as I'm concerned. It, maybe it meant something at one time. But at this point, to say that is, is completely useless. It doesn't do anything. You know, at least that's my opinion of that. Because yeah, it's I just become a mantra. You know? Yeah, right. And yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think also there is a, a real conflict because when people start to feel more, mm -hmm. uh, it's very painful. Yeah, it, it, hurts. it, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Right. And it keeps you up at night and it can make your heart race. What do I do and what can I do? And this is very, very um, overwhelming to my system. At the same time, the, the kind of gift that you receive and that you're able to give is the gift of compassion, right? Mm. Because you don't mm. have that if 
kind of pushing it away. If someone, you find out someone gets cancer and, well, you know, that was God's will or that's because of this or because of that, you don't necessarily think of bringing them dinner. Um, no, and, it's a substitute for that. It's a, it's a wall. It's not a, there's no, there's no joining or, or yeah, the compassion, like you said, I love that. I, that's a, that's a brilliant way of putting that. And then when you're compassionate, you're connected. You actually have more of a place in the world. You really are connected to another person's heart, to another individual's need and uh, what they're experiencing in a very real way. Yeah. Um, and so I think being able to feel that, yes, is painful, but it helps you really feel back that you're that you're with other you're with other people in the community um, in a very tangible way. I think that's significant. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I wanted to I wanted to bring that up because I think there are going to be people out there listening to this right now who are hurting, who are wondering what to do, who are confused, upset. There's a lot of upset right now in the country uh, over this. I mean, you go to any social media platform and it's all over it. And people are really getting sick and tired of the platitudes and want some kind of action taken. And I think that, um, you know, hopefully maybe this time there will be something, you know, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, but take care of yourselves out there. You know, that's the thing uh, is, you know, talk about it, experience it, go through it, look at it, really get what's happening with you personally in relation to this whole thing. And from there, you know, you can engage, you know, rather than disengage and, mm -hmm. you know, put up some kind of emotional wall or something, because in the long run, <laughs> believe me. I know what I'm talking about when I tell you that that is not healthy uh, because those emotions are not going to just disappear. They don't just right. go away. You know, That's you right. well them up and you sink them down inside of you and they just build, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's, sure. that was certainly my experience. Okay. So now uh, let's go ahead and segue into our, our uh, mainline discussion here this week. Um, a, a very interesting question came to me from a viewer, and you and I talked about this. And and uh, that is, you know, we've done a lot of podcasts and talking about narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths, cult mentality, how you can recognize it, how you can help get somebody out of it, how you can talk to somebody who's involved in a group like that as a friend or family member. But what do you do? When, when you're talking to someone who is in a either a narcissistic relationship or any, you know, same dynamics exist in a cult situation, but what do you do when you know somebody who's in a situation like that, yet they don't know it at all? Like they don't, and especially in a narcissistic relationship, right? Because uh, we've covered some cult stuff, but, but when you get into those, into that, you know, you know a couple. And it could be either one of them, man or woman, right? Or, you know, in an LGBT relationship, doesn't the gender is not, not what's important no, here, right? It's what, how do you, how do you communicate to somebody that you see they're in a narcissistic relationship, but they don't, what do you do? Right? Right. Okay. It's such a good question. Uh, and I'm so happy someone asked you because this actually happens more often than not. When someone is in a relationship with someone who is a narcissist, they usually don't know it at first. Um, 
and that's actually kind of part of the problem that the narcissist is so good at hiding their true selves they're so good at portraying themselves a certain way especially when they're just kind of courting you at the beginning of the relationship and sometimes it's not until they know they have you uh, whatever that means uh, it could be an engagement it could be whatever else um, that then things start to turn but even after they start to turn you might not notice it I think you know we've sometimes been out with couples where we get uncomfortable where we can see that we let's say ask the husband a question and the wife always answers it like nah, I think he can still talk and he can still think um, so I'd love to hear from him but you get the feeling like you can't cross her and he has shut down and he stopped even trying to answer questions so you're watching that dynamic and you're wondering if he notices it um, same thing uh, where you go out with a couple and let's say the husband is making these sort of subtle put-downs of his wife and she's just sort of putting her head down and kind of taking it and not saying anything and it makes you very uncomfortable and you wonder also if she notices it or if she's just so used to it or if she feels deserving of it um, so I think part of what you notice is that a narcissist is very often going to be attracted to or zero in on the person who's not going to call them on their stuff, uh, who is going to tolerate it for way too long. So again, this is going to happen very often that they're not going to notice it. So they're going to zero in on the person who thinks a relationship is about keeping you happy, not them. They're going to zero in on the person who's sort of used to being mistreated or uh, judged or uh, sort of scrambles to be back in your favor and is used to inequality so here you notice it but you wonder if they do now sometimes people do notice it they do notice suddenly it starts creeping up on them that they're with a narcissist but and they might not know what to call it but they know that they're made to feel bad about themselves and they know that they can't question the other person or disagree with them um, and so something is sort of percolating, it's sort of coming to the surface, but again, they don't have the words for it necessarily. And on the one hand, they might feel deserving of it, so that might keep them from doing anything about it or fully realizing it, or they might be afraid. You know, a narcissist behind the scenes can be a very intimidating presence. Um, you know, they come across as really easygoing and lovely in, in public, but yeah behind closed doors are very different people so if you're worried about what will happen if you really take someone who's a narcissist to task for how they're treating you um, then you're gonna shut down and kind of put blinders on and kind of hope to not see it as often and hope to not really feel it but I think sometimes also what happens is when you're with a narcissist they've often made you feel like they're the best you can do they're the best you can get and so why would you risk kind of really seeing them for who they are and really seeing how you're being treated because especially if you've absorbed that idea that no one else is going to love you or no one else is going to tolerate you the way they tolerate you you know right um, and, so if, your hands, and, and uh, they are definitely going to be planting seeds 
of yes. this. Yeah. I mean, you're not thinking this all on your own. I mean, this is this this these this person is definitely putting these ideas into your head that you you know maybe you're not so worthy. Maybe there's some things wrong with you. Boy, you're sure lucky to have found this person. Man, you know, if this person wasn't with you, nobody probably would be. I mean, it can get pretty, you know, in the advanced stages, it can get pretty blatant. But I think right. in the beginning, it's probably much more subtle. Well, I think it is it is much more subtle. And then there's also the gaslighting piece, right, which kind of goes hand in hand with these relationships. So that you really don't know if you are someone who... Um, deserves to be in a better relationship. You don't know if you're someone who really um, is an annoyance like they think you are, uh, is someone who can't be trusted like they make you feel. Um, and so they start to kind of devalue you and in your own mind. And so then you think, you know, who would want me? I'm such a wreck. I'm so difficult. I can't be trusted. I'm not smart. I'm not attractive. So I might as well stay here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of this, of course, I mean, let's be, let's be, give a complete picture because, um, you know, some people feel that way just because they have a really low self-esteem yeah. and, and, a, and, a, and a poor self-image, right? I mean, that does happen. And, uh, and we can't, you know, we don't want to blame, you know, it, 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 we got to be careful because there are some people who come into relationships feeling that way and then can, you know, put it on the partner who's not really doing anything bad to them. Mm -hmm. So what would be some of the signs that you could see as an outside person or questions you could ask to determine which, which of those scenarios are you looking at? So you don't falsely, you know, nail somebody as a narcissist merely because you're, you know, you're talking to somebody who's just always had a poor self-image or low self-esteem. Right. So if you are an, someone who's not involved in that relationship and you mm -hmm. want to be able to get a more accurate gauge, um, while it can be murky, still you want to find out a little bit about the person before the relationship. You know, if they were put down in their family of origin, if uh, the way they talk about themselves before was that they were never going to amount to anything, whatever. You know, sometimes that's the influence of the narcissistic partner who kind of rewrites your history in your mind. So that also makes it confusing. Mm -hmm. But it, especially if you know this person or if you knew this person for a while, then you do have a better sense of what they were like going into the relationship. That is very helpful. But also what helps is to be able to learn about how a narcissist behaves, the sort of the subtle cues, so that while you might not have a clear sense about if the person in the relationship who's sort of the victim of the narcissist has come into it with their issues uh, or if they've been developed or, you know, exacerbated by the narcissist, you can actually look to see if the person is a narcissist then you'll have a better read. That's going to be something that's going to be a little clearer. Um, I one time was working with a couple, and the the woman in the couple was very um, uh, insecure and did kind of, uh, when she was alone, did say a lot of things about her husband being... Um, controlling and how she really resented the kind of control he had over her, but she also knew that she needed it because left her own devices, she couldn't be trusted. 
Um, she wouldn't have amounted to anything without him, blah, blah, blah. And so I thought, you know, it would be very interesting to meet him because if he's just sitting there saying, yeah, I keep trying to tell her that she's, you know, like I'm encouraging her, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? And not needing to take credit for it. You go do you, you know, and I'm going to support you. But instead he came in, sat down on the couch so close to her and wrapped his arm around not only her her back but around her neck like this he had her in a hold <laughs> wow like a headlock yeah like don't like basically don't say anything i don't want you to say and right. i had a feeling like then right that was actually a pretty clear one you know you didn't have to be you know sherlock to get that one but uh it's important right to kind of read the other person but when you are faced with these kinds of situations, it's hard to know what to do because you don't want to make the person who's the victim in this scene kind of afraid because you're pushing them to do something. They might not be ready to do something. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different levels of response. The first is just sort of sitting back and realizing it. And way down the line is actually taking action steps, being ready. Um, and so don't push a person to leave that night as soon as you see that they're in a situation that might not be healthy. I think you, you can do a couple of things. I wrote down a list of, of a number of things that people can try. Um, and this I got from, from clients, uh, from the uh, families and friends of people who noticed that something was awry the relationship of their loved one. Um, one thing that's very helpful is to try to stay in their life, not in a uh, kind of overly protective, but just a, a presence in their life so that if you spend, if you're living close by, if you spend more time at their house, you're going to be privy to some of the things behind the scenes. You're going to be privy to suddenly having, let's say, the husband being called, let's say the wife is the controller, uh, being hu the husband being called into a back room, the wife probably raising her voice, the husband coming out looking kind of sheepish and embarrassed, uh, and also vice versa with different genders. Mm -hmm. And so you want to notice those things. You want to be able to hear the phone conversation on the other end of the phone where the person you care about is being berated on the phone. Um, controllers will, all, will do a lot when they think no one is listening right? Uh, uh, and they'll reveal themselves in that way. So you want to be able just to take in that kind of proof and then if it's possible, and then you want to figure out a way to bring it up. So how do you bring it up? I mean, you don't want to confront, this is what I heard, et cetera, et cetera. I think you, you instead want to say, you know, um, there was something that happened. I just wanted to know if you noticed it too. Yeah, um, exactly. Cause it's, cause you, yeah, that's it. Sorry. I didn't mean to. No, just, no. Just, no, that's important. You know what I mean? You, to, to just try to get in there and be the hero and, you know, override this person's, uh, you know, decision-making process and you're going to make their decisions for them. Not helpful. <laughs> You know, Not it, it's like it's like the old days when they were, you know, kidnapping people out of cults. And 
throwing them right. in the vans and stuff. It's like, that shit doesn't work. You know, that's not how you do it. No, you know? no, no, no. And you want to empower the person. You want to help them kind of really take stock of what they're already noticing and put it into kind of a um, perspective for them because it's something you noticed because it made you uncomfortable or because it's not something that's typical um, or it's not something that you think would be kind. They're not being treated in a nice way. Um, and so, again, kind of put it out to them. You know what I heard? It seemed like the other person's voice was loud or accusatory. I felt it. Is that something that you felt when it was happening to you? Good. So, right? And then they can say, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But you still planted that seed that you noticed and you want them to notice. Right. Um, I think also you remind them that you're there whether you are in person or whether you're far away, that you're someone they can talk to and without judgment. This is something that happens to people when people get into um, relationships. Sometimes things are the way they thought they were going to be and sometimes they're a little different or a little more uncomfortable. And if you ever want to talk to me about that, I'm here. You yeah, know? exactly. And it might sound too passive for some people. You know, they want to get, they want to get in there. They want to do something. They want to stir stuff up. But, mm -hmm. you know, you could be wrong. This is really important because, you know, just because somebody has a fight with their spouse doesn't mean that they're engaged with a narcissist. No, you you, right, you exactly. got to look at this on a longer term than just a one incident deal, right? Uh, the same thing as, uh, you know, as, as judging whether a group is a cult or not. I mean, one incident of, you know, of one bad incident doesn't equal, oh, the whole, let's just color the whole thing black and pull yeah. the person out, you know? Right. But I'm right. curious. I think also. Yeah, well, I was I was just curious just now about you know this business of uh, you know when when you do observe in another couple you observe narcissistic behavior on the part of one of the members, say at a dinner or something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have your social graces and this kind of thing. But if it gets a little out of hand or if, or if things are getting a little tense or uncomfortable, is there anything that is that is constructive that a person could do right there with the narcissist? right in front of them. I mean, is confronting them in any way a good idea or a bad idea? I don't, I'm not really sure, actually. What, what do you think? Okay, so, uh, you know, my sense is that it's not a good idea. And part of the reason that it's not a good idea to confront the narcissist there is that you will then be someone that their partner has to cut out of their life. Mm, you will be the famed right? You'll be the enemy because you're threatening the narcissist and the threat and that threat is going to be too great. Um, and so they will no longer be allowed to talk to you. Um, so you just kind of play along you, and you notice that's an opportunity to do a lot of observing how the narcissist is behaving, how the person you care about is responding or looking down or looking uncomfortable or apologizing to the waiter uh, after their partner says something bad, um, how they kind of try to make things okay, um, how they try to distract people from their, their partner's bad behavior, whatever it is. And you just take it all in and you bring it up with, the person you care about at another time. Okay. And you say, this is what I noticed. 
I didn't want to make things tense. I didn't want to make things more difficult for you. Um, and so I didn't say anything then. But these are the things that I took stock of. And I'm curious if you notice these things also. Um, and then you have proof, right? And that's why you want to stay in their life. So you can see this actually happening. Um, it's very good, actually. When, when people are in these situations, sometimes they can get very confused. And unless they get confirmation from an outside source, they sometimes think that they're making too big of a deal of all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really does help to have someone who they trust and who they love say, mm, you know what, that made me really uncomfortable when that happened. I kind of didn't know where to look when he was berating the waiter. Um, you know, does that ever make you feel uncomfortable too? And you can start to connect, but yeah, not, not with the narcissist there. That's never going to go well. Right, exactly. And we need to clear up here that this isn't the same thing as going behind somebody's back and rumor mongering or you know gossiping or trying to uh, create a wedge in the relationship or something like that if you're a caring friend or you you know you love this person you like this person you, you care about them um, mm -hmm. you know it really is a, a point of being a good friend that you mm -hmm. that you talk mm -hmm. honestly with them and in private because maybe you're wrong right. maybe you're right you know you can sort it out with the person Right. Yeah. And, and I, you, you know, you see what you see. So I'm not saying to compromise what you are seeing or experiencing. But um, but I also want to just dispel any idea that, oh, it's not my business. I shouldn't get involved. It's, you know, it's not my thing or something. Or somehow I'm going to be ruining their relationship if I get involved. Uh, no, you're, you, you know, when it comes from a place of honesty and, and, and caring, um, you know, you're, you're, you're on solid ground. It's OK to do that. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. It's okay to remark about what you are actually noticing. Mm -hmm. um, if you have this agenda where you don't want your friend to be married or you didn't like this guy because he dumped you years ago, whatever it is, yeah, <laughs> right. just step out of the way. Let them have their happiness, you know, uh, and uh, set up a therapy session for yourself because <laughs> right. this is not okay behavior. Um, but I think if you actually, with a really open mind and an open heart, want to like the person that your loved one is with, and it just keeps not happening because things keep happening that are just making you uncomfortable um, and that are making you feel like the person you love is not being treated the way they deserve to be treated. And also, if you notice that the narcissistic partner looks great usually very polished, they've worked out, they, you know, are put together, calm, uh, and the person you love is ragged, um, kind of distracted looking, didn't have time to take care of themselves, uh, seeming kind of jumpy, but they're definitely falling apart while the other person looks okay. That's something you want to notice too. Why is that? Right. Why is that happening? You know, because something's not right there. Someone is mattering more than the other person in that relationship. Yeah, good point. Um, something else I want to say before I th forget about it is um, the other reason why it's probably a really good idea to not be jumping in and getting all over, uh, you know, the case of a narcissist in a maybe tense or otherwise uncomfortable moment is, um, you know, one thing that we non-narcissistic 
psychopathic, sociopathic people constantly make the mistake of is projecting ourselves onto them. Uh, you know, I would respond if somebody tried to correct me, right? If somebody mm -hmm. like, if I was doing something wrong, I would want a friend of mine to say, dude, maybe calm down, maybe take a walk, maybe whatever, if something's getting a little tense or anxious or there's an upset. Uh, the narcissist isn't going to respond that way. They don't no. respond the way you and I respond at all. <laughs> and we've covered this in, in detail, but I just thought I'd bring it up here since we're talking about this particular thing. Uh, you know, yeah. you're not going to change them with one conversation or comment or, or you know, okay, now we're going to deal with this. You know, that, that's not how this works, you know. So no. I just wanted to sort of throw that out there and see what you thought about that. <laughs> so when you're dealing with narcissists, you're dealing with something that we talked about before, this idea of a narcissistic injury. It's little for them to feel injured. Uh, in fact... You think of a narcissist as someone who is spending their day overcompensating. Um, and they have this very kind of fragile core uh, where they feel insulted very easily. And, and it's so dramatic for them that it really does feel like an attack. And so anything that goes into them in that way, they're going to have to attack you back and then some to really knock you back down. And that's why sometimes narcissists will suddenly feel like they turned on a dime because you said something that would have been fine for someone else to hear, but not for them. And they'll let you know. They'll let you have it. Sometimes it'll be in a, um, in a loud way, sometimes in a very controlled, passive-aggressive way. Uh, but you will know. They'll have a reaction. So, yeah, you can't say, like you were saying, dude, mm -mm -mm, not cool. Uh, that will be the end of your friendship and that will be the end of you having permission to see the person they're with right um it'll be pretty severe there'll be retribution that will be very severe and surprising um so reasoning with them is not something that goes well when you think about narcissists i think about that quote uh that scary people are scared people and when you keep that in mind you can picture the narcissist, even though they can be really intimidating, kind of picture them as little kids who are feeling scared and they need to control their world because they feel very vulnerable inside and you are their world and they need to control you uh, or you're part of their world uh, and they need to control you. And so they need to be able to make sure that nobody does anything that feels like a hurt or slight to them. And again, it's all too easy to do that. That's why people with narcissists often feel like they're walking on eggshells because they are. <laughs> they are. It's right. so easy to blow it. It's so easy to blow it. And so you get very practice at holding things in and how are you going to, you practice how you're going to say it a million times before you say it and it still doesn't go well. Right. Right. Very good point. Uh, and I think that you know, if, if somebody's pretty hep to what we've been talking about with narcissists, they'll be able to see this pretty, pretty certainly. You yeah. know, the, 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 the characteristics are not subtle. I mean, no, if you're looking for them, you'll right. find them, you know. Exactly right. And, I, and that's a really good point that you as the friend on the outside or the family member on the outside don't want to behave like a narcissist. Like, you know you know what's best and you know that person's narcissist and you can label it. 
what you want to do is you want to be able to be schooled in it, find out for yourself, like, is this person matching the list of characteristics? Okay, maybe I'm onto something. Okay, maybe I'm being accurate. Now, let's say I can try to find a list or a video that I can show to the person I care about and see if they then, with the information about what makes someone a narcissist, what are the different characteristics, and what it's like to be in a relationship with a narcissist, what the other person experiences, see how they relate to that. See if they see themselves in that. See if they see their partner in that. And then they can make a more fully educated decision, because it's true, you could be wrong. Um, but if you feel like there's something to this, then offer the person you love the benefit of having the information accurately for themselves. Perfect. I, uh, I, you know, I wonder um, if a tactic that might be helpful or might work sometimes is uh, when you were just mentioning looking at a video or reading a book or something, or looking at a list of characteristics or something, if it might help to um, guide the person towards that uh, without without making it sound like you're directing it towards them. You know, like, I was mm -hmm, interested mm -hmm. in this topic. Uh, you know, we want to watch this with me? <laughs> you know, sort of thing. So you don't lie. You know what I mean? I don't want you to, I don't, I'm not trying to, trying, to, trying to say that we should all be practicing gross and uh, blatant deception. But, but it might be a way of, <laughs> of smoothing it out a little bit if you, you know, well, I'm going to watch this, you want to watch this with me sort of thing. You know, then the person, mm -hmm. and, and of course, you know, this is the same as, uh, again, very, very analogous to how we deal with people who are in uh, destructive cults. You know, they yes. might be in destructive yes. cult A, so you watch a documentary about destructive cult B with them. And they mm -hmm. go, oh, look mm -hmm. at all those things that are going on in B, and then they make the connections between exactly. their group right. and that group, you know. And sometimes it's planned and sometimes it's by accident because uh, I know someone who by accident got out of her cult when she was helping someone else get out of their cult. <laughs> right. She didn't realize she was in one, but suddenly she started, you know, learning about what it was and she was thinking, wait a minute, that's exactly what is happening to me. No wonder I'm feeling this way. No wonder I'm completely relating to what's happening here. And so it started sort of undoing the the control that she was under because she was helping another person um so yeah it's just an interesting subject narcissism is interesting it's one of the things you know that i i like to learn about because it's kind of a natural variation of human nature it's it's its own diagnosis but there are a lot of diagnoses out there which of course i find interesting to study so it could be that when you sit down with someone you're talking about narcissism but maybe also you want to learn about some other like what does it mean when you call yourself depressed how is it different than just sadness and let's go over other diagnoses and so it's not just about that one subject whatever helps a person kind of come to that discussion feeling safe not feeling that you're targeting them, not feeling that you're judging them, not feeling also that once they realize it, they're going to have to suddenly do something about it right away because they're probably not going to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other step. That's a whole other video. Um, but I think it's very important to feel as a friend that you don't want to overstep, but you also don't want to abandon. Right. right. So you want to figure out how to do something that feels appropriate that feels right for the situation where you're not over-diagnosing based on your bias 
that you have a clear read of what the situation is and then figure out how to share it with the person you love to help empower them to see it for themselves. Perfect. Are there any other pitfalls that should be looked for or avoided in helping or in spotting or helping someone in uh, a narcissistic relationship? Uh, what happens uh, when you're dealing with someone who is in a narcissistic relationship is that sometimes they've been made to feel scared and sometimes also, you know, scared of, of doing anything, of leaving, of even being in contact with someone who is not on the approved list of contacts by the narcissist. Um, so it may even be a risk that they're talking to you at all. So you want to give them a lot of credit for even having a conversation. It might seem like they're kind of doing nothing, but they're doing a lot just by tolerating that conversation or having it with you. Um, but the other thing, besides not triggering the narcissist's anger, because it's going to land squarely on their victim, on their partner, and you, you can inadvertently trigger that by challenging the narcissist, um, is that sometimes when there are children involved, um, the narcissist will very often engage in something called parental alienation. So they make themselves seem like the better parent and you, their victim, are somehow uh, neglectful or abusive or, you know, not qualified to be a good parent. Uh, and so if you're in, kind of in contact with someone who is dealing with a relationship where they've had children with a narcissist, you want to especially not trigger the anger of that narcissist because they'll take it out on their partner by really trying to take the children away from them, you know, going for the thing that would hurt most. So know that you need to, doesn't mean to not do something, but you need to tread lightly uh, and cleverly, especially when there are children involved. Okay, good. And on that note, um, I think we might want to put a plug in here that if, you know, you do feel at all like you're over your head, not sure what to do, a little uncertain, you know, there are a wealth of resources out there. And, um, and, you know, of course, my channel, you know, the, you, the things you've uh, put out there, uh, lots and lots and lots of resources. Where, um, how do people contact you if they had a question about this? Sure. They can find me on my website, uh, www.rachelbernsteintherapy.com. They can call me, 818-907-0036. Uh, um, and be in touch with me. Uh, uh, email me, rbpsychology at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, watch videos, get lists, um, connect with friends. And also, another thing to watch out for, connect with friends who will keep it private. Because, uh -huh. right, you don't want it to get back to the person who you have to worry about, to the narcissist. You also don't want it to be fodder for uh, people just gossiping. And someone who you know is really a trusted friend, someone who um, uh, can keep it just between the two of you. Uh, so evaluate who you share it with well um, so that you can keep yourself safe. And it also buys you some time to be able to have some conversations behind the scenes before the narcissist finds out about it or blows up and then shuts you down from doing anything on your behalf. Good point. All very good points. Yeah, maybe contacting the narcissist's best friend to, you know, maybe that's not such a good idea to tell well, him your concerns. Yeah, no. And also, oh, also, 
sometimes the family of the narcissist, they do know that their, let's say their son or their daughter is a narcissist or brother or sister, yeah, they get it. But also sometimes you're dealing with family allegiance and you don't realize until you contact them and then they tell the narcissist. Uh, sometimes also because they're afraid of them. They don't want to be withholding information because they've been intimidated by this person and they know what happens if the, they find out that they were withholding information. And so, yeah, don't go to their family quite yet. All right, cool, good. So contact somebody within, uh, if you need professional advice or, or direction or something, contact someone who's, uh, you know, that it's within their bailiwick to... <laughs> <laughs> to know awesome work awesome work. <laughs> yeah i don't get to use that word enough so i just i had to had to throw that in there <laughs> i hope it's the first of many times you get to use that word uh yes and and also write down what's happening to you because people in narcissistic relationships are just concentrating on how to make it through the day how to make it through that hour and they're going to forget all the things that were told to them that might not be true all the insults all the behavior modification, all the things that they were, they were diagnosed with by the narcissist. Uh, and start making a list. Keep it private so that it's not something the narcissist can find so that you can see in black and white what's really happening to you. Great. All, all very good. Cool. All right, Rachel. Well, thank you very much for doing this episode uh, with me and answering this question so thoroughly. Really appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Any comments, questions, uh, feedback, good, bad, or sideways, leave it in the comment section below here on YouTube or, like I mentioned, at sensiblyspeaking.com. Uh, contact information for Rachel will also be in the show notes. So uh, thanks for coming around, guys, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.